0: It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel, with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The message is entitled, Choose to be wise. Choose to be wise. Let's pray. Lord, would you quicken our hearts today by your spirit that we would make the choice to be wise, to bring wise gifts to you, even as the wise men of ancient days. Lord, teach us today. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I was concerned. I was a little boy. I knew where my mama always hid the Christmas gifts or the birthday gifts. I always scoped them out well in advance and figured out which one was coming to me and which one. So I knew it all. And I had been scoping out where she hid the gifts and there were no gifts. And Christmas was days away. And then we had family worship. And my daddy was a very sober face, said, boys, this year, we do not have enough money for Christmas. And so the gift of Christmas this year will be that we are together. I said, Daddy, no Christmas gifts? And my dad said, no, Raymond. There is no money for Christmas this year. Well, I was broken hearted. I lived all year long for Christmas. That was my day. I said, Daddy, can we at least go out in the woods and cut down a tree? He said, yes. And so my two brothers and myself headed out to the woods. We found a beautiful Christmas tree. We brought it back. We didn't have one of those fancy stands you buy down at Target today. We made a stand. We took it to the garage and we hammered out a timber and the supports and we wired it. That thing was not going to go anywhere. We brought it into our living room. We moved a chair to make room for it. We were in a family of five and about 950 square feet. We were tight. That Christmas tree almost filled our living room. It touched the ceiling. We had to cut it off right on the very top to fit it in the house. We had a few lights from previous years. We had some Christmas decorations. So we had great fun putting all of that up, and then Christmas Eve came. Dad did most of the cooking in our family. My mother was a bacteriologist, but she murdered food. So Dad did the cooking. And he cooked dinner for us, and after dinner, we all gathered in the living room for Dad to read the Christmas story for us. Always, he would open his big Bible, and he would read to us the story out of Luke. And so Daddy began to read the Christmas story to us, and I didn't even want to hear it because all I could do was look at the Christmas tree and there was nothing under that tree. This had never happened in our family before. As Daddy was finished, almost finished reading the story, we heard a car door slam outside. We wondered who was coming. People didn't visit us way out in the country. We were on a dirt road way out in the boonies, a knock on the door. I was the first one to the door. I flung it open, and there was our pastor. Pastor Carnes was his name. Now, to me, he was a very old man. He had white hair, and he looked utterly ancient to me. But he had a big smile on his face. He said, is your daddy home? And my dad came up behind me and said, come in, Pastor, come in. He said, no, 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 this is Christmas Eve. My wife and I decided that we have no longer any children in our family. And so we are giving all of our gifts to your family. He said, we have a few things in the car. He went out to the car and his wife joined him and they soon began to gather these beautifully decorated gifts and bring them into our home. He said, Matt, we can't put these gifts under that tree the way it looks. Dad said, what? He said, we'll be right back. They went out again and this time they brought in one of these large round snow sheets with glistening snow on it. They put that under the tree. And then they began to unload little houses with lights in them. And soon there was a whole village of Bethlehem under our Christmas tree. And I was standing back and I was saying, this is incredible. Can you believe this? And then he said, now I think we can put the gifts under the tree. And they loaded gifts under that tree. All of them marked Matt, Orpha, Roger, Don, Ray. All marked from Jesus. It was all arranged. And Brother Carnes, Pastor Carnes, looked over at us. Wife And he said, haven't we forgotten something? And she looked at him and she said, have we forgotten something, dad? You know, they're old when they call each other mother and dad. He said, I think we have something in the trunk. They went out again. And by the way, it was snowing. It was one of those picture perfect Christmas Eve events. They opened the trunk, and they began to draw out large dishes of food. A turkey, freshly freshly made, and all the trimmings. The cranberry, orange, I don't know what you call it, but I'll tell you it was good. Baked beans, yams, candied with marshmallows on top. It was a feast for a king. They brought all of that in and loaded our kitchen table. I'll really date it now. It was a white kitchen table, white from Micah, with red, with a silver band around the base. You go to an antique shop, and you'll see one today, with plastic chairs. But you know what? For the first time in my life, I was not ashamed that on our wall, at our windows, were just plastic curtains. As a little boy, I always hated plastic drapes. I wanted fabric drapes. I wanted the linoleum on the floor that was so worn to be covered with carpet. I forgot about the ugliness of our little poor home. Because it was filled with the love of Jesus. The Carnes is left... After they had prayed a Christmas blessing for us. And I was utterly dumbfounded. I didn't know how to think about what had just happened. It was too incredible for me. Now you need to know in advance. I had cleared out. I had one drawer for all of my things. All of my clothes went in one drawer. I had cleaned out most of the clothes in my drawer and I'd stash them under my bed because I had said, Jesus, Daddy says there's no Christmas this year, but I know you won't do that to me. I know I'm going to have to fill this drawer with Christmas gifts. And my drawer was full that night. Everything from new socks, new gloves, mittens, shirts, and toys. And I very carefully put each item in my drawer so that my brothers wouldn't get in them. I was the youngest of three. If my brothers wanted something, they waited till mom or dad turned their back and then they took it and dared me to get them in trouble. I guarded carefully what I'd been given. I've thought so many times about That evening, and the wonder of love and kindness being shown to people who were very poor. Now, there was a reason why we were a poor family. Mom and dad had made a decision that 50% of everything that they brought in was going to be sent to mission work, to the work of the gospel. They didn't have that much to begin with. And suddenly, such love was poured out. Such kindness was poured out. Now, you all know that today, I'm not very big on Christmas. I give gifts. Usually, I give gifts to immediate family or to pagans because it's a time when people will receive A man that I've been working with for and trying to talk to about the gospel who has rebuffed me time after time, not allowing me to talk with him. He's Muslim by belief, very firm Muslim. Last night I overheard him talking about a book that he wanted. I listened carefully to get the title. And immediately last night afterwards, I headed for Barnes & Noble in Springfield to buy that book for him and bring it back to give him for Christmas. He stood there dumbfounded. He didn't know what to say. Pastor, why would you, why would you give this to me? And I said, I gave it to you because I love you. Tears in his eyes. Touched his heart. Nothing I've been able to say to him about Jesus has touched his heart. But that book that I gave. And my telling him I love you. Brought tears to his eyes. We know that Christ was not born. On Christmas Eve, we know that. Christmas Eve is a pagan holiday. We know that it's been celebrated for centuries as a pagan holiday. And that the Catholic Church simply took the birth of Christ and combined it with paganism to produce Christmas. I'm not going to put a Christmas tree up at my house. But you know what I do have? I have the scene of Bethlehem. I'm going to have. Poinsettias. I'm going to have a sign. So that when my Muslim friends come to visit me. I can demonstrate love and kindness to them. And because it's Christmas in their mind. I have the right to talk to them about the gospel of Jesus. Now, if you have a Christmas tree in your house, I'm not going to criticize you. Each of us have to do with Christmas whatever we're convicted by the spirit that we're to do with it. But I will tell you, it's a time of great kindness between people. It's an opportunity to touch people's hearts with acts of love and charity. It's a time of witness and testimony. So I'm not going to get caught in some doctrinal ideology. I'm not here about that. I'm here to touch hearts of people. And you all have gathered together today as we opened our prayer time. Revelation says that we are loved by God. And that we are called. With our sins removed from us to be priests of the Most High God. So we don't come here as consumers. We come here as producers to demonstrate and show love for others, to our family and to others. Self-sacrificing love. And that brings me to the story in Scripture that, that I really want to talk about today because for me Christmas as a little boy, was about receiving. But as a man, it's about giving. It's no longer what I'm going to receive. It's what I can give. It's, it's who I can touch. Now, if, if someone gives me a Christmas gift, I'm not going to turn up my nose. But I don't have a place cleared out in my drawer where I'm planning on stashing everything that's given to me. Instead, I'm emptying out my drawers to give to others. And so my question today that the Lord has been challenging me on, we started on this on Tuesday evening. The question is, what gift are you going to give Jesus this year? What gift will you give Jesus In the scripture, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem, we usually interpret it as bread. Jesus was born in the house of bread because he was the bread of life. In the Arabic, Bethlehem is not bread, it's flesh. Jesus came in the flesh to be the bread of life. Jesus was the gift, the Christmas gift that God gave to the people he loved. And now the question is, what gift will we bring to Jesus? Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Magi literally means the fire worshippers. These were Persians. They may even have been Jewish. But they were the fire worshipers. And God is the God of fire. We don't know for sure if they were Jewish or if they were pagan. What we do know is that they saw a star in the sky. They were astrologers. They studied the stars. And they saw a star. And they puzzled over it they read all of the prophecies and they finally concluded that this star must represent the Messiah that was to be born to Israel. It was the expectation of even the Romans at that time that a Messiah was going to be born, a king was going to be born to the Jews. It had some very concerned. They saw his star in the east, that is where the sun rises, and they came to worship him. They went to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem they went to the king. Surely the king would know where this new king was being born. He was of royalty. King Herod pretended to be very interested. By the way, King Herod was an Edomite, a direct descendant of Esau. King Herod called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. He called together the Sanhedrin and he asked them, where is this Messiah to be born? And they all of one accord answered, he is to be born in Bethlehem. Now, a side note, I want you to be very clear that this put on notice the Sanhedrin and the priests that the Messiah was being born. It was the hope of all ages that Messiah would come. Every mother, every time a boy was born, they would ask the question, is this the Messiah? But the priests had no interest in traveling to Bethlehem. King Herod said to the Magi secretly find out the exact place where this Messiah is. Search for him. And when you find him come back and tell me so that I may come and worship too. And so they went on their way. Now because of the Christmas story we kind of jam everything together. The shepherds and the magi were widely separated events. Jesus at this point was probably a year or more old. They were no longer in the manger. They were in a house. Joseph had found work. Now, Joseph was much older than Mary. We don't know how much older, but he was much older. By the time Jesus was 30 years of age, Joseph had already died. But Joseph, we we read in Scripture the word carpenter. Joseph was probably not a carpenter. The word carpenter in the Greek is more akin to stonemason. The work in that day was not primarily with wood, to build houses. It was with stones. There was a huge project going on eight miles from Bethlehem. A great amphitheater was being built in Jerusalem. Other projects were going on at that time with stone. This is probably What Jesus did is he worked with Joseph. He probably worked as a stonemason. So Jesus is now a year or more older. The star evidently had been there for some time before it was discovered by the wise men. Or it took them some time to research. They could not Google it. They had to search through the ancient scripts, the ancient scrolls, until they discovered what the meaning of this star was. They saw the star immediately as they left Jerusalem. They followed the star and it led them to a house in Bethlehem. They were overjoyed by what they were seeing. In verse 11 of chapter 2, Matthew 2, 11 says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and with myrrh. And my question to you today is, what will you bring to Jesus? Will you bring him gold, frankincense, or myrrh? Wise men brought gifts to Jesus. If we're going to be wise, we will likewise bring one of the gifts of the Magi, and we will give that to Jesus. So let's identify, please, what are these gifts that have been given by the Magi to Jesus. Let's begin with the gold. The scriptures speak in different places about the gold. One of those places, First Peter, the first chapter. I'll begin with verse 3 so that you get the context. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never spoil, perish, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while You may have to suffer griefs in all kinds of trials. Let's not pass over that. As we begin to think about gold, you need to understand that that gold comes out of grief. Gold comes out of hard work. If you're going to bring gold to Jesus... It's going to require that you lay your life down for that gold. Most of you this past week went to work. You traded some of your precious life for the work that you're doing. You had to spend your time. Each of us have a set amount of time to live on this earth. You had to trade that time for money. He says, then, you've had to suffer grief, sorrows. Gold again will only come out of the sorrows of your heart. All kinds of trials. The Greek word is parasmus, meaning all kinds of piercings. What I want you to hear today is that there are no cheap gifts that you can bring to Jesus. If you bring gold, it's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you sorrows. It's going to cost you heartache. It's going to cost you being pierced. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine. Verse 7, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold. There is a Greek word that is not accurately translated here. Dokomino means trustworthiness. The purpose for the piercings and the purpose for the labor, the purpose for what we experience in our life is not just to gather the gold, but to become gold. It is to become trustworthy before God, so that when he speaks to us, we will obey his word. We will do what he asks us to do. And all of these life experiences, it is possible, according to Jeremiah, to go through them and prove not trustworthy. We can disdain the word of God. So if you're going to bring Jesus gold. You're going to have to recognize the cost of that gold. Coming to Jesus with the gold is saying, Lord Jesus. Please do in my life whatever you need to do to make me trustworthy for your kingdom. Bring whatever kind of piercing you need to bring into my life. So that I can be certain that I will not turn my back on you. I love the feel of gold. One of the listeners to Pilgrim's Progress sent me two half ounce coins of gold. I felt them. I said, I can see why people want to hang on to these, these are precious. Ever smell gold? Smells rich. When your life becomes gold before God, it's something that he can take to the bank. It's something that's trustworthy. You will not turn aside from him. And I've been praying this week in my private time As I get up early in the morning and I go into the prayer closet and I sit before the Lord, just out of the overflowing of my heart, I've been saying, oh, God. Don't let me prove untrustworthy to you. Don't let the piercings of my heart. Don't let the sorrows that come into my life. Don't let those turn my heart away from you. Don't let my heart become in any manner hard or cynical. Do you remember the first church of Revelation 7? The Lord said, I have something against you. You have lost your first love. Did you know as you go through piercings, you can become hard edged? You can become brittle. You can become cynical. You can become angry. You can say, this is not fair. Why am I being treated this way? I'm saying, oh God, don't let me get hard or cynical or cold of heart. Don't let me turn away from you. Don't let me prove untrustworthy to you. In the end, I want to stand before Jesus and hear him say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The cry of my heart is that I would be faithful to Jesus. But I have another cry in my heart. And that is that I would be faithful to you all. You are the church. That I would be faithful to God's people. That I would not in any way think of myself separate from the people of God, that I would not have an identity separate from the people of God. Remember, we're working in the book of Ephesians. It's about the church. Jesus is the head of the church. If you separate yourself and you're disloyal to the body, where can you stand with Jesus? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his wonderful book, Life Together, says you can can look at your relationship with the church and by that determine what your relationship is to Jesus. You will treat both the same. If you're cold and withdrawn from the church, you will be cold and withdrawn from Jesus. Jesus. If you are stingy with your brothers and sisters, you will be stingy with Jesus. I've been saying, oh Lord, don't let me in any way be disloyal or hard-edged with the radio listening audience because they are a part of this congregation as well. And don't let me be in any way disloyal to your people. I've been called to serve God's people. You know what? You've been called to serve God's people as well. And if your life is simply about going out in the world and building your kingdom. Then you will have no compassion for God's people. And God's people are the apple of the eye of Christ. You want to get his attention? Do something for God's kids. Anybody wants to get close to me? Do something for my kids. That's how Jesus is. So we give gold to Jesus when we come to him And we say, Jesus, make me trustworthy. Bring any piercings you need to bring into my life. Bring any bitter toil you need to bring into my life. Do whatever you need to do to shape me into your likeness, that when men and women see me, they will say, There is Jesus. That when I have interaction with pagan people, they will say, Look at the love. Look at the compassion. No selfishness. That's giving gold to Jesus this Christmas. And then there's the myrrh. Myrrh is a very expensive sap that comes from a tree. To, to get the sap, they take a sharp knife and they cut the tree. And the tree bleeds. And they collect that blood of the tree. It's an antibiotic. It's myrrh. And it is bitter. If you're going to bring the gift of myrrh to Jesus this Christmas. You're going to bring to Jesus all the bitterness of your heart. The anger at how you've been treated or mistreated. You're going to bring to Jesus the last remnants of sorrow in your heart about your failures in life. I see my daughters and they say to me, Daddy. You were the best dad we could have ever had. You were always there for us. And they can go on and on about how great they think their dad is. You know, I have a tendency to take all of that with a grain of salt. Because in my mind, I remember the times when I failed my daughters. In my mind, I remember those things that I said and did that caused them unnecessary sorrow. And I say, how could I be a good dad when I messed up? So many times. When I got angry and yelled at them. When I was unfair to them. You know what? They don't remember any of that. All they remember is that I was always there for their games. And that I was always there when they wanted to go out and eat. And I was always there when they wanted to go shopping. And I would take them and I would help them choose the... I didn't want mom to go with them shopping. She was tight. They wanted dad to go because dad would buy them the clothes they wanted. I know exactly what's going to happen after Christmas. I'm going to get a call from both of my daughters. And they're going to say, Daddy, the sales are on after Christmas. Would you take us shopping? And they have kids. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take both of my daughters shopping after Christmas. Because that's what daddies do. And no matter how old they are, I'm still dad to them. All of the memories wherein I condemn myself have to be brought to Jesus. There's not one of you here who does not have things in your past That you know you were wrong in what you said and what you did. You remember the time when you lied. You remember the time when you cheated. You remember the time when you judged someone. When you criticized somebody. You remember the time when you treated someone unfairly. When you yelled at them. When you were driving down the road and they cut you off and you screamed and yelled at them and tried to drive in front of them and stamp on your brake and all kinds of foolishness. You remember those things. When you bring myrrh to Jesus, you're bringing to him the blood of the cuts you have received in your life. And you're saying to him, Jesus... I have not always responded well to your discipline. I have sometimes been very angry and very brittle and full of cynicism. I'm giving you this now. And Jesus will receive it as a most wonderful gift And then the frankincense. There was a reason I waited for frankincense to be last. Frankincense also comes from a tree. It means a cloud of smoke. Frankincense means cloud of smoke. Sweet-smelling frankincense is when we ask Jesus to fill us with his fire so that the prayers that arise from our hearts will be a sweet smelling smoke that will arise into his presence. So when you give frankincense to Jesus you're saying all of the bitterness of my heart is gone. All of the condemnation of my spirit is gone. I choose joy. I used to think that joy was a byproduct. I had a friend, in fact, ask me, he said, he's a pagan. He said, Ray, where does joy come from? And I went into this whole explanation of how it's a byproduct. You know what? Joy is not a byproduct of anything. Joy is a choice. You can choose to be mad or you can choose to rejoice. You can choose to be grumpy. Or you can choose joy. I remember I said to my mother when she began to complain as she was in a nursing home. I said, mom. This is not very pleasant for you to be in this nursing home. And I wish it didn't have to be this way. But you have to make a decision. Are you going to become a bitter old woman? Or are you going to become a better old woman? It's either bitter or better. And you have to make the choice. When you bring frankincense to Jesus. You're saying, Jesus, I choose joy. And I choose to offer my life up. As an offering before you. And I choose to pray. I choose to give myself now to you in prayer and intercession as a priest, praying for your people. It takes the focus off our own lives and puts the focus on other lives and says, how can I intercede for this person? And I got a phone call from a a businessman. He listens every day to the radio. He called me and he said, Pastor, would you explain to me about intercession? I said, let's not talk academically. What are you asking me this for? What's the purpose behind your question? He said, Pastor, my son is in the army. And he is not following the way of Jesus. And I need to begin to intercede for my son that he will receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I said, "Okay, now then let's talk about intercession. If you want your son to be saved how much do you want your son to be saved? Do you want your son to be saved enough that you will once in a while remember him and mumble some prayer to God? He said, no, 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 no. I'm fasting one day a week for my son. I said, okay. How desperate are you for your son's salvation? He said, Pastor, I don't feel any desperation at all for my son's salvation. I know that someday Jesus will save him. I said, you're wrong. He said, but Pastor, it's God's will that my son be saved. I said, it's God's will that everyone be saved. Will everyone be saved? No. Well, then how do you think your son will be saved? Because you've said a few little prayers to God, you think he's going to answer you and save your son? How desperate are you for your son to be saved? He said, Pastor, I'm not desperate. And I can't work it up. How do I get desperate, Pastor? He said, it's very simple. And it's very hard. You get desperate for your son's salvation by going before God and confessing to him in repentance that you have no desperation for your son's salvation you go before God and confess that your heart is hard and ask him to open a fountain of tears for you that when you begin to pray for your son, the tears will flow. Ask Jesus to quicken your heart with his fire so that when you pray for your son, your very life is on the line. Now, let me warn you. When we begin to engage in an intercession, there is a price we have to pay before God will answer. You come to God with your agenda that he save your son. Well, God's going to come to you with his agenda first and say, I want you to fulfill my agenda. And when my agenda is taken care of, I'll do your agenda. I've experienced this time after time after time. I pray for revival for, for America. I prayed for revival for Washington, D.C., and the Lord rebuked me and said, pray for the nation. Pray for revival for America. I said, okay, I'll pray for revival for America. And then he begins to give me a list of things he wants me to do that have nothing to do with revival in America. And I'm saying, what is this? That's when he said to me you want me to take care of your agenda, you take care of my agenda first. That included going down and doing radio every day. Five hours a day. To drive down to Key Bridge. Drive home. It included other things that he wanted me to do. It included some personal things that he wanted me to do. Most recently, he said... You're too heavy. I'm saying, Lord, I'm too heavy? Yes, you can't preach holiness and be fat. I said, okay, what do I do? What I've learned is I come to God and I say, Lord, you're saying do this. Now, how do I do it? Cause me to be quickened so that I can do what you're asking me to do. And so he gave me very specific directions. Dessert once a week. I said, "Lord, Lord, once a week? Protein, vegetables, no bread, no pasta." I'm saying, "What? I live on bread." And I live on dessert. I said, okay, Lord. I'll do what you ask me to do. And then he'll tell me. Go see this person. Go give this person this. Go say that. Lord, does this have to do with revival in America? Yes, it's my agenda. Do my agenda. Then I'll do yours. So I said to this man, what price are you willing to pay for your son's salvation? Very quietly, he answered. I don't think we ought to talk anymore right now. I think I need to go pray. And I think I need to find out what the price is before I make a decision. I said, no, no, you don't get away with that. I thought you said you wanted your son's salvation. Is there, any, is there any price too high to pay for your son's salvation? He said, no. I said, okay, now let's pray. And let's ask God to make you willing to pay whatever price is necessary for your son's salvation. The price was paid on Calvary. Jesus already paid it, but he wants to do something in your character. And now he's got a handle on you that he can get a hold of, that he can do something in your life. Do you understand? God wants to get a hold of handles in our lives. And if we won't listen to him, he can't get a hold of those handles. And so when we bring him these gifts of the wise men, it provides him with handles that he can grab a hold of. He can begin to shape us into the likeness of Christ. He can change us. My favorite gift to bring Jesus is frankincense. I like the aroma of frankincense. Of incense. Which gift will you bring to Jesus this Christmas? Will you bring him the bitterness of your life? From all the cuts that you've received, from the hardship you've undergone, will you bring him your bitterness and rip it out by the very root to give him all of it? Will you give him the gold? Will you let him shape you as he chooses? Will you let him refine you in the fire? Will you bring him frankincense? Final, total, complete submission to Jesus. So that when you get on your face before God with the choice of joy, you minister to Him. One listener called me this week. And she said, Pastor, all of my life I've wanted to do something great for God. And now I'm disabled. How can I do something great for God? I said, I can tell you exactly how to do something great for God. Get in your prayer closet and minister to Jesus and stop demanding that he minister to you. She said, I've never heard of any such thing. How can I minister to Jesus? I said, by going into your prayer closet and telling him you love him and that you belong to him and that you want him to take all rebellion from your heart so that you can be wholeheartedly given to him as his wife. And he will meet you. Christmas is coming. I challenge you by Christmas Eve, make the decision what gift or gifts you will give to Jesus this Christmas. Mighty God, King of all the earth. We've come to worship you. We've come to worship you as the wise men came to worship. We come bringing our gifts. Please, Lord, would you receive what we bring. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless.